Chapel this morning. We're so glad that you could join us. Uh, I have a couple of announcements to share with you as we begin our service this morning. Uh, first of all, youth group and prayer meeting are both tonight. Youth group at 5, prayer meeting 5.30. Uh, the adult choir has practice after the service today. Uh, I guess that only affects you guys. You probably knew that already. Um, we want to congratulate Jared and Sammy Snyder, who are the proud parents of a little boy, Miles Elliott. He was born on Wednesday, and it says Thursday, but it was Wednesday. Um, also, today is Peter Rank's 13th birthday. So happy birthday, Peter. It's trying to hide, not really, but we're really happy for you. Happy birthday. Uh, would you pray with us to begin our service this morning? Gracious God, we are so thankful that we are able to be here this morning. Lord, that we are able to, Father, sing your praises. Father, to hear your truth. Lord, and to just be with our family in Christ. Lord, I pray that this morning you would, uh, Father, move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
invite you as a congregation to join in our singing of hymn number 11, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I'll ask you to stand as we sing this together. Number 11, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. <laughs> Before you sit down, turn around, greet someone, and make them welcome.
are so many things I could say right now. <laughs> I've been waiting on her for so long. I have no idea what that was about. But she gave me the look as she was walking by, like, don't start until I sit down. I have learned to read the look. And you hope sometimes you don't go home and you're in that doghouse. Am I okay? I'm good. She said I'm good. I would be a nervous wreck until I left this place. I got the acceptance look. You know how God, when sometimes he accepts the offering and... All right, I'm done. All right, well, uh, we do want to have a time of prayer this morning. I have uh, two things I want to read. I, I have a note from Stephen Pam Bordner. Uh, Steve's brother, of course, uh, passed away uh, just recently, and he writes, Dear Word of Life Chapel family, on behalf of my family, uh, thank you to everyone for your kind words of sympathy, your cards, your prayers upon the promotion to glory of my brother Tom. It is so good to be a part of a church family that cares so deeply for each other in times like these. The outpouring of love and concern is very much appreciated. It, uh, if you would, continue to pray for my mom, Bernice, his wife, Karen, and her two daughters, as well as his daughters, Julie and Holly. This loss is something that we will all get through by God's grace, and we look forward to being reunited with him when the Lord calls us home. God bless you all, Steve and Pam Bordner. So keep praying for uh, that family that God would bring comfort. In, in your bulletins, there's a prayer list or a prayer letter uh, from Hope Aglow Ministries. And I'd like to just highlight uh, a part of this letter. Um, we pray, of course, for our missionaries. And um, it's interesting at times to get um, letters that say, you know, your prayers have been answered. And this prayer letter is one of those. I'm on the side of 729 at the top, uh, the July letter. And Gary Sims, he writes, Dear friends, we've asked you to pray over the past few months specifically for doors to open for us to serve in prisons and jails as well as your churches. The Lord has heard your cries and has blessed us with a very busy month. We have seen many institutions open their doors for us to come in and hold religious services. The doors have opened so wide that we've actually had to turn down some opportunities as we have not had enough days in the calendar nor volunteers to go in and serve. This is a great problem to have, praise the Lord. So uh, here's an example of God doing above and beyond what we could even ask or think. Now, if you turn your sheet over, uh, the last paragraph uh, in the August letter says, as much as these materials change lives, and uh, Hope Aglow, a big ministry of theirs, is they send correspondence courses into the jails and prisons. And um, it says here, as much as these materials change lives, they cost a lot to not only purchase, but to mail out. 
Currently, we are preparing 1,500 Bibles and over 300,000 tracts to send out to the prisons and jails across America. We need to raise the funds for postage before we can ship them. Can you help? Please pray that we can uh, raise the funds to be able to mail out these life-changing materials. So an answer to prayer on one side, but a prayer request on the other, that we might pray that um, God would help them to be able to have the funds to be able to mail out these uh, materials uh, into the prisons and jails across our country. So, Father, as we bow this morning before you, uh, we thank you again that you have given to us the great privilege of coming before your throne through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Father, for Jesus as the mediator between God and man. Father, we don't claim to be able to come before you apart from Jesus, interceding on our behalf, apart from his work as being mediator. And so, Father, through Jesus we come in the power of your Spirit. Father, we are thankful that we can come and call you our Heavenly Father, that you are just that, that because, Father, we have come to a saving knowledge of your Son, you are our Father, our Heavenly Father. You, Father, are the one who has brought us into your family. And we thank you, Lord, that we are part of that, that we are a child of yours, that we, Father, have all the privileges that a child has in a family. So, Lord, we come. We bring our petitions. We bring our praises. Father, we do praise you this morning for the salvation which you have provided for us found in Jesus alone. We thank you, Lord, that we have assurance that resides deep within us, an assurance that we are yours and you are ours. Father, we know also that this eternal life that you've given us, it doesn't begin sometime in the future, but Father, you have given us eternal life now. Father, we possess it now. It is something that is ours. It is something that, Father, you have given to us by, by your grace and a free gift. So, Father, now as we come before you, we do want to bring Hope Aglow Ministries. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Gary Sims and others who are there working in this wonderful ministry, unique ministry, in going into prisons and jails, sending materials, Lord, to these places where these inmates are able to read and study your word and take tests and grow in a knowledge of you. So I pray that you would allow Hope Aglow to have the funds needed, that they might be able to continue uh, to send these uh, into these places where they're so desperately, desperately needed. Father, we thank you for answering prayer on their behalf, that you have opened doors for them to go in to prisons and jails and churches and, and have services there among these, Lord, who have... Uh, been placed behind bars. So, Father, you continue to work, a good work, uh, through hope aglow. Father, we also recognize and we do acknowledge that, Father, there are many among us as we look at a prayer sheet as the one in our bulletin this morning, many, Lord, who have uh, great needs, physical needs. And, Father, we lift these before you, asking, Lord, that you might do a great and wonderful work. Father, you've given us an opportunity this morning to come together. 
We always appreciate that. We always appreciate being surrounded by those of like faith, those, Lord, who know you, those, Lord, who are also part of your family. Father, if there's a chance that there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you in a very personal way, that, Father, this might be that day uh, that they come to a saving knowledge of your Son. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here. Lord, we will rejoice in this wonderful day that is ours, a day that we can come before you, a day when we can come together and praise you and worship you in spirit and in truth. You're a wonderful, you're a sovereign, you're an awesome God. Father, we now lift our voices to you in song. In Jesus' name, amen. Sunday school class with the teens, we've been looking at the life of Moses. Uh, 
And if you go back to the life of Moses and think about what he went through, remember when he killed the Egyptian and ran away? And, uh, and, and he's out and uh, watching his sheep uh, time later, and this bush starts on fire, right? And it's burning, but it's not burning. Right? If that makes sense, it's burning, but it's not burning. And Moses goes, and, and God tells Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and tell them to let my people go. And, and if you remember the story of Moses, uh, he's not really excited about that at all, right? He's not, he, he uses every excuse that you can find in the book. But God told, tells him at the end, go and I will be with you. And you know, there's so many times in our lives where God tells us to do something. And I think we respond in a similar way to Moses, right? God, I can't do that. I'm not a good speaker. God, I can't do that. I don't have the money. God, I can't do that. I'm not brave enough. And God's promise is I will be with you where you are right now. And so we're going to sing this song. Uh, you might have heard it before, maybe not. But the reality of it is that we're not enough unless God is with us. I can't go back to the beginning. what tomorrow will bring but I know here in the middle is the place where you promise to be I'm not enough you come, will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here As I walk now through the valley, let your love rise above every fear. Like the sun shaping the shadow in my weakness, your glory appears.
not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. of trials in this life, God, you are there. Lord, that doesn't change. Lord, we ask that as Pastor Bob comes, Father, to speak your truth, Lord, that, that you would prepare our hearts. Father, may we hear exactly what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name. weeks ago, we began a new sermon series entitled, Come On, Man. And we started with the creation of man. Uh, we moved through the fall with Adam and Eve. Uh, last week, we looked at the murder of man as Cain took the life of his brother Abel. 
And now this morning we're looking at the flood, the destruction of man. It's been three weeks since we started this series. It's been three weeks since the creation of man until today, the flood. But in the Bible, 1,600 years have gone by from the creation of man until the flood in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, God looked and said, everything I made was very, very good. When we come to Genesis chapter 6, God looks at the earth and sees that mankind is corrupt. And God decides now to start all over again. God decides to reboot with a whole new family. God's not pleased. He's not delighted that he has to destroy man. As a matter of fact, the Bible says twice that God grieved, that he regretted, that he made man, and now must destroy. Some believe there could have been millions on earth at this time, the time of the flood. Man has progressively gotten worse and worse and worse. Tell that to your friends who believe in evolution, where it is believed that man keeps getting better and better and better. We come this morning to the story of the flood. You see, Adam fell, Cain fell, and now the whole world has fallen. And so God decides to start all over with a whole new family. Turn, if you would, please, to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And let's look now at the story of the flood. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, it says this, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. We discover God's man. This is God's man at, at this particular time in history. Noah, the Bible says, he found favor in the eyes of God. He was accepted by God when everybody else was rejected. Noah was righteous. That is, he was living in a right relationship with God. In that hall of faith chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith Noah. Noah was a man who lived by faith. Not perfect, but he's a man who lived by faith and was very obedient to God in every way. We also read, read that he was blameless. This describes his, his moral character. You see, no one could point a finger at Noah. No one could make an accusation against Noah and make it stick. 
He was a man who was blameless. And thirdly, it says he walked with God. He was a man who loved God, who worshipped God, who, who served God. When everyone was going left, Noah was going right. In the right direction, God was going. He walked with God, not against God, as everyone else in the world. Noah was the exception. If you go back to verse 5 of this same chapter, notice what God saw when he looked down on earth. It says, the Lord, he saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine that? That apart from Noah and his family, everyone else on earth was walking against God. Everyone else on earth was wicked and evil, and every inclination of their thoughts was only evil all the time. All they could think about was evil. All they did was wicked things. This was the world in which Noah lived. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah was different than everyone else. Noah was one who went against the grain. He marched to the beat of a different drum. He rode against the current. Noah was a man who stood out among all the rest. God's man will always do that, you know. God's man who's really living as God intended, he will stand out from all the rest. Whether you're in your school or at work, in the world, sometimes in the home, in this corrupt world of ours, the man of God, the woman of God, the boy or the girl of God, they will stand out. They will be different. This is the song that we sing at times, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. There's no turning back. No turning back. That was Noah. That was the man who found favor in the eyes of God. No one went with Noah. Noah was the only one walking with God. But he said, though none go with me, I will continue, continue to follow. Let's read on. Look at verse 11 of chapter 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. 
Here we read of God's judgment. God's judgment. We know God is long-suffering, which means that God is very, very, very patient with man. Here we read of the total depravity of mankind. And even though God is long-suffering, there comes a time when God says, that's enough. And this total depravity of mankind requires catastrophic judgment to come upon the world. The wickedness and the corruption must be terminated. And as I said, we read in this text that God grieves. In verses 6 and 7, twice we read those words. That the Lord regretted or the Lord grieved that he had made this corrupt world. But also it says that God's heart was filled with pain. That God was, was deeply troubled by what he saw upon the earth. Because God had created man set apart from all of his creation. We looked at that three weeks ago where God created man in his very image, in his likeness. And part of that means that God created man with a will to make choices, to choose God and love him with their heart and soul and mind, or to reject him. And mankind has rejected the very God that created them. And God was grieved. God's heart, we read, was filled with pain. God's not willing that any should perish. He, he doesn't find delight in destroying mankind. There's a verse in Ezekiel chapter 18, and it says this. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Sovereign Lord. Rather, I am not pleased when they turn from their ways and live. A little bit further down in that same chapter, it says, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. But the story of Noah tells us that God now is going to hold the world accountable for their wicked ways. That the behavior of mankind at this time must be punished. And God is grieved over this sin. And he cannot put up with this forever. We read in the book of Romans that every mouth will be stopped. And silenced. And the whole world will be held accountable to God. You see, if we're creatures of a lower form and we haven't been created in the very image of God and in his likeness, then we're not accountable to God. You know, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry for, you know, tomorrow we will die. We might as well live after, you know, our own feelings. And, but we have been created in God's image, in his likeness. And therefore, we are responsible 
to our Creator. And the Bible says that we will give an account to God someday, that there will be judgment and a day of reckoning for every man. Here, we read the judgment is going to be in the form of a flood. That the God is going to bring judgment upon the world by bringing waters that will destroy. But God always saves a remnant. And the remnant is Noah and his family. And so God says to Noah, Noah, build me an ark. Build an ark. Some of you have been down to uh, Kentucky and uh, you've been to the uh, art encounter down there. How many of you actually have been there? Quite a few. Um, we're going to show. I want to read the dimensions actually of the ark as you see um, a drone that is taking a picture of the actual ark down in Kentucky. Do we have that, Pete? As you watch this, let me read what it says in chapter 6 and verse 14. God says to Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening of one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower and middle upper decks. And so you see the ark. Some of your translations actually speak of feet, how long it is in feet. Uh, the Bible, in my translation here, speaks of 300 cubits long. The ark that you see on the screen is 510 feet long. I know some translations have 450 feet long, and the height and the width are a little bit different. Uh, however, it depends on how you uh, interpret a cubit. And not everyone's in agreement how many inches a cubit is. Regardless, what you have before you is an amazing, humongous ship that is to be created not for speed, but to float. All God wants this boat to do is to float and preserve life because God is going to call eight people into this ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people will enter this ark. And God makes a covenant with Noah and makes a covenant with Noah's family. And he says in verse 18 this, But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. You will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will, be, will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them 
and Noah did everything just as God commanded. Build me an ark, Noah. Build me an ark. And then you and your wife and your sons and their wives, you will all enter into this ark and you will be preserved. You will be saved from the waters of the flood. And the Bible says that Noah did everything that God told him to do. What did God tell him to do? Well, first of all, it was to build an ark. Did you know that this ark was built in land, a landlocked region? That is, it did not have access to water. Did you know that up to this point of the flood, there was no rain? And that this ark was being built in a desert? It was inconceivable that this boat would ever float. There's a second thing that Noah was asked to do, and that was to preach, to warn the people. It took 120 years to build this ark. There's no power tools and cranes and those kinds of things back then. But as he's hammering nails, he's to be preaching, because we read in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, he was the preacher of righteousness. God said, warn the people. Let them know of the impending danger. And all they did was laugh. All they did was mock. Here is a crazy man building a boat in a desert. That makes no sense at all to these who were not going to ride on this ark. And so Noah warned. He preached repentance. He warned of danger, but it was all dismissed. No one was listening. Jump over to chapter 7 and look at verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, they entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean animals and unclean animals of birds of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, they came to Noah and they entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, then the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. The eight entered into the ark, plus all of the animals, and for forty days and forty nights, water came up from the ground and water came down from the heavens. The Bible says God opened the floodgates of heaven, and it started to rain. But God also opened the earth's crust so that the springs beneath would rush from below. And so now we have water from above and water from below creating a universal and worldwide flood. And we read, starting at verse 21, that God's mission 
was accomplished. In chapter 7 and verse 21, every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry ground that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground, the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. God takes no delight in judgment. God is very patient with mankind. He waited many, many, many years before sending a flood. People were giving ample opportunity to turn from their sin. But no one did. No one did. And so God brings the flood. And upon the entire globe, water, everywhere, covering everything to the highest mountains. But even in judgment, we always see God's grace. You remember Cain last week when we looked at Cain? And Cain, you know, slew his brother out in the field, premeditated murder. And God punishes Cain and says, Cain, the ground that you so love and grew your crops, you're not going to be able to grow crops anymore, Cain. I'm putting you under this curse. And part of that curse is you will be a wanderer. No place to settle. And Cain comes to God whining and crying, oh, this punishment, it's more than I can bear. And God in his mercy puts a mark on Cain and says, Cain, this mark will not permit anyone to take your life. And we saw the mercy of God even in the midst of the judgment of God. Here is judgment, God's judgment, and yet in the midst of this judgment, we see the grace of God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. But God remembered. God remembered. He remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. God remembered. We see even in this judgment God's grace. Up to now, the flood narrative, it was all about judgment. But from now on, it's about redemption. God has redeemed a remnant. God has preserved and saved Noah and his family. And we read in verse 1 of chapter 8, God remembered. That does not mean God forgot. 
<laughs> it does not merely mean that he recalls something to mind. In the Bible, when it speaks of remembering, it is this, and I'm reading from the NIV footnote. It's to express concern for someone to act with loving care for him. And so now at this point in the flood narrative, God is going to begin to work and care for Noah and act on his behalf. So what does God do? Well, he begins to reverse now the impact of the flood. It says here, first of all, he sends a great wind on the earth. Wind dries things out. He closes the heavens. He stops, or he, he closes the earth's crust that the water doesn't come from below. He closes the floodgates of heaven. Water doesn't come from above. After 150 days, we read that the ark then rests on Mount Ararat. And the tops of the mountains, they begin to become visible. Now Noah didn't see the tops of the mountains. In this ark, there was a window, but it was only about 18 inches, which is a cubit, below the roof. So there was a window in this ark, but it only looked up. So Noah couldn't see what's taking place on the earth. So how does Noah determine the conditions outside? He uses birds. Noah knows something about the habits of the birds. And so he takes a raven. He opens this window and releases the raven, this scavenger. And this raven goes outside the window and never comes back. What does that tell Noah about, about the earth's conditions? Well, a raven would land on any kind of a dead carcass or a slimy surface or something of that nature. And so he knows something that's taking place outside the ark. So what does he do next? He takes a dove. This is not a scavenger. He takes a little dove. And he sends that little dove out the window. Now, the dove isn't going to land on a dead carcass, so the dove comes back into the window. So Noah knows something about the conditions outside. He waits seven days, and he takes that little dove once again and sends it outside that window. Now the little dove comes back, and he has a little olive leaf in his beak. Well, that says something about what's taking place. The, the trees are starting to show through. He waits seven more days and sends the dove out. dove never comes back. Now Noah opens up the roof, the Bible says. And God says to Noah, now you can come out. Noah, now you can come out. It's safe. And the first thing Noah does, according to chapter 8 and verse 21, is he builds an altar. He decides to worship God. God has despaired his life. And so he builds this altar. You say, well, now, wait a minute. Where did he get the animals to put on this? Wasn't it just pears that went into the ark? No. There were some animals that he took extra, according to God's command. And he used these animals as sacrifices when he came out of the ark. And there on the altar, he put these sacrifices. And the Bible says God smelled a pleasing 
aroma. Chapter 8 and verse 21. A figurative way of saying God accepted Noah's act of worship. And God rewards Noah. He establishes with Noah another covenant. We call this the Noahic covenant. God establishes a covenant. A covenant is an agreement with two parties. It's a promise. I will do this, you do this. God establishes a covenant with Noah. He has done that with many men through the years. Abraham, uh, Moses, uh, David. Now he establishes a covenant with Noah. Let me say three things about it before we read the covenant. Number one, it's universal. It's universal. The covenant that God makes with Noah is universal. That means it it encompasses all human beings and all animals extending all the way down through the generations to you and me. This covenant is ours as well. It's also unilateral. Unilateral. Which means that God alone takes the initiative. Twice in this covenant, God says, my covenant. This is my covenant that I'm making with you, Noah. Thirdly, it's unconditional, which means that it doesn't require any action, any acknowledgement or ratification on the part of Noah. God's making this covenant unconditionally. Noah doesn't have to do anything for God to keep his promise. So what is this covenant? Well, look at chapter 9. In verse 11, God says this, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you. And every living creature with you, a covenant, now listen, here's where we are included, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth, and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again, God's promise, never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. This is is an eternal promise that God has made to Noah and all generations that succeed him. And the visible seal of this eternal promise that God made that he will never again destroy the world with water is a rainbow. 
God expressing his grace visibly for everyone to see. The sovereign promise to Noah and all his descendants and to all others. And then the rainbow as a gracious reward to righteous Noah. The father now of the human race. He now will be the start of generations to come. And so God now starts all over again. Following a global disaster, a global flood. And God graciously gives to Noah and to us, all generations, this beautiful sign that he would keep his word and remain faithful to his promise. So the next time the storm has ended, it has passed by, and the clouds are empty of most of their water, the sun begins to shine through. Look up. Look up. And look for the bow in the sky. Look for the rainbow in the sky. And remember, it's a sign of God's faithfulness. It's a sign of God's grace. It's a sign of God's wonderful mercy. Let's pray. Father, we, we are thankful this morning for that amazing grace that appears even in the midst of judgment, of punishment. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful, faithful God. And this wonderful promise that, Lord, you will never destroy the earth again with a universal flood, a worldwide flood. Father, is ours. We thank you for that. And thank you again for showing yourself as a merciful and gracious and faithful God, even in the midst of a horrible situation. Lord, that's who you are. It's who you are. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Hymn number 288, would you stand with me please? 288, we'll sing this and we'll be dismissed.
thank you for your grace this morning. Father, it's grace that saves, it's grace that keeps, it's grace that we see in every area of life. We thank you that you are a God of grace, a God who freely gives us things, Lord, that we don't deserve. And so, Father, we thank you this morning. We are grateful for the grace that has saved us and keeps us. In Jesus' name, amen. 